this could be the first of a series of boycotts. English football leads a four-day boycott of social media by sport. The whole point is to hurt them quite badly. The PFA Simone Pound takes us inside the meetings as players challenge social media networks on racism. We had Wes Morgan in the room talking kind of from a personal level. Um, there was the N-word everywhere, monkey emojis everywhere, and they were like, we're really sorry it doesn't contravene our community guidelines. On Sport Unlocked, the battle against hatred online. Hello and welcome to the podcast, digesting the best of the week's sports news with analysis and interviews. And we'll have that conversation with Simone Pound of the English Players Union coming up. We'll also have Arsenal Takeover talk, Premier League TV rights latest, and of course the fallout from the collapse of the Super League. Plus, there's an update on the situation around the Tokyo Olympics. I'm Rob Harris from the Associated Press, and alongside me after a bit of a quieter week, this one, Martin Ziegler from The Times. Yeah, um, it, it is, but still uh, still lots of fallout from, from the Super League shambles. And um, one thing we have had is it's been the, uh, the most successful podcast um, that we've ever done. Last week, um, we, we had a, an emergency one. When the Super League was launched, and then and then one wrapping up the, all the all the, uh, the fallout, and we've um, it, it, we've had listeners tuning in from all over the world, and it's been I'm really pleased to have everybody on board, and we'll be uh, we'll be analysing what's happened now, won't we, with um, the man who's uh, had to go to hiding down in deepest Cornwall, Tarek Panja. Hi, hi guys. Uh... It's, it's been it's hard to, to to get onto this podcast to launch a European Super League. I've been all over since I've been all over Cornwall trying to get a signal to try to, to get in touch with you guys. But I hope we we've got there in the end. And also, happy Kevin Keegan rant day. Twenty five years ago today, we had the love it love it broadcast from Kevin Keegan. The iconic image of him with those headphones jabbing his finger at. Sir Alex Ferguson, um, and you know I would love it if we can get through this in one piece without ranting at each other. I mean, unlike the Super League, we have actually managed to form an alternative communication strategy to bring you on the pod this week. Oh, uh, remarkable, remarkable. Well, good job, guys. I mean, there, there might be a job for you if uh, the European Super League Mark II uh, goes ahead, as, as Florentino Perez seems to insist it will. Well, before we do get on to the Super League, because everyone's heard so much from us on that in recent weeks, one of the places where we were broke the top 50 of all sports pods is in India, as well as Italy. It's been a pretty harrowing week in India with the ongoing and worsening coronavirus situation, which has impacted the Indian Premier League. Yeah, it's devastating uh, news and, and images from India. They're running out of places to, 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 to burn the dead over there. There are makeshift funeral pyres uh, all over the country. New Delhi, the, the, the capital, uh, in fact, is one of the worst affected areas. It's, it's just all very sad. Hundreds of thousands of new cases a day, thousands of deaths. Meanwhile, this, this cricket competition is going ahead. Organisers say the public need a bit of a distraction from that grim news. But it is, uh, for some people, quite galling that this this event, the razzmatazz of IPL, goes ahead while the country burns. Uh, some players have, have, have talked 
uh, about how harrowing it is for them. Three Australians have all, already left. Uh, the English uh, contingent re- remain there. It's, it, Martin, it's really, really complex and very sad at the same time. Yeah, I think it's a very difficult one for the organisers about do they cancel the tournament do they, or do they press ahead with it? I mean, I think we saw back in, uh, in, in this country, in England, um, when, the, when the lockdown was, was announced in January, you had the former Football Association chairman, David Bernstein, saying the Premier League and Football League should be stopped. Um, it, it, it didn't seem right. And I'm sure lots of people saying the same thing about the, the IPL. I mean, I do actually have some sympathy that that there is a, you know, that although the people are suffering and families are suffering and the last thing they want to do is think about cricket, that, that it is actually uh, arguably a very important uh, part of people's lives there. And, and if it can provide some sort of, I think distraction may be the wrong word, but some sort of um, ability to, to, to take some sort of uh, interest in something other than the terrible situations going, that is going on, I, I do understand why, why there is an argument for that to keep going. And a determination for Tokyo to keep going in terms of planning for the Olympics and the Paralympics this summer. But this week we've had some updated guidelines in the playbooks in terms of the conditions that participants in the Games will have to meet and that will require a lot more testing at the Olympics and Paralympics? Yes, testing every day for, for the athletes um, and also coaches, people who in, uh, in close proximity with them. Um, other things like they're, they're only going to have 90 seconds, only spend 90 seconds on an interview with a journalist. Um, they can't go within, within a, a metre of people who've been in Japan for longer than 40 days, i.e. basically to try and limit any contact between people coming into the country and people already there. I think there's a, from the Japanese point of view, there's a big effort to try and um, reassure the population they're not going to be put under any extra threat as a result of the Olympics because there is so much um, opposition within the country to the Games actually taking place. so I think we'll see what happens the next in the next month or so um, about whether things. Get, I think, but I think if the if the situation worsens, it's going to be a real threat to the games actually happening. And we've only got a month now until another big sporting event, the Champions League final in Istanbul, and only this week Turkey has entered a new three-week coronavirus lockdown to try to bring the number of cases down, and yet. UEFA are insistent that the final will still be going ahead in Istanbul on May the 29th. Of course, the 2020 final should have been in Istanbul. They had to abandon those plans and they still hope it will be there now this year. Of course, it could still be an all-English final if Manchester City and Chelsea get through. Imagine making all the teams go across from England to Turkey for that one and fans potentially too, because UEFA are still hoping for fans at this year's Champions League final. And Tarek, you've actually encountered a crowd in the last week, quite unusually, at least outside a football ground. Yeah, uh, following on from fans of uh, Liverpool on Monday last week for their game against Leeds, and Chelsea fans who took to the streets before the Brighton game to protest at the European Super League. Arsenal fans came out in numbers and, and, you know, for the Emirates, it was quite a, quite a loud atmosphere outside, outside the Emirates. There were fans demanding Stan Kroenke and the Kroenke family leave their club. 
as a reaction to, to the ESL, but also, I guess, a general sense of ill feeling towards that ownership group who, who the fans, or many of the fans, believe aren't the best custodians for their team and don't really care about its fortunes. And that's heralded this, this news that uh, the Spotify founder is interested in, 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 in buying the Cronkies out. You know, arguably, these things usually happen quietly. You don't hear about deals often, the ones, the real ones, until they're done. Uh, but the Spotify founder took to, to Twitter, first of all, to say he'd like to buy Arsenal and is ready to talk. I don't know why he didn't pick the phone up and contact them. He's a billionaire after all, and I, I would assume that the, the Cronkies would take a, a call from someone like that gentleman. Sport and Lots, of course, we are on Spotify, so Danielette can be listening to us to get some uh, observations and insight on sports news. And uh, Martin, you know, you look through some of his um, background and yes, he's an Arsenal fan. He's not particularly active on social media in terms of talking about Arsenal, even though he is very active on Twitter and um, no actual formal bid or clarity over where we'd get the money from for it. No, it appeared on a, on a, on a business channel uh, this week to sort of spell out his plans a bit more. Um, I mean, the, the Conkeys have said they're not selling. He's it, a slightly strange figure, isn't he? I mean, the, a lot, for, to a lot of people, he, he, is, he, is, he is not a, a good person. If you're, if you're a musician, for example, um, there's lots of controversy about the fact that the Spotify basically... Um, feeds off their uh, their product and actually pays the artists themselves tiny amounts. I mean, I, d- I don't think we're going to be retiring anytime soon from our 0.0001p per listen on on Spotify. Um, to, to be perfectly honest, so um, it'd be interesting to see where this one goes. Generally, takeovers playing out in the public domain um, don't happen. This may be different, um, you know. We may be in a new era where takeovers are done through the, the, the realm of social media, but um, you, you'd feel slightly sceptical about that. Rob, 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 there's also a question mark about how how much and how he's able to fund this. Yes, he has stock options in 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 um, his company Spotify. He has he's, he's the founder, but he still has a share, which. Uh, fluctuates with the stock market uh, about three three billion. Uh, but but again, how much how much cash does he have? Can he can he fund the, this this takeover of Arsenal takeover of Arsenal? Should the uh, Cronkies decide to actually open negotiations with the guy? He says that he has he has the funds available to him, but there's still quite kind of a lot of question marks about this. And given given the week we had with ESL about billionaire owners, etc., and the future of football. Isn't this just more of the same? Yeah, there's no indication why Daniel X should be a, a better owner in the sense of, you know, he's not worth personally tens of billions of pounds. He doesn't have huge amounts of disposable income, so it would still need to be run as a business. There'd still need to be some financing there, wouldn't there, uh, Martin? And, uh, you know, this week you just looked at the wage bills of teams as well that, then from the latest finances. Yeah, um, he of course. I, I think the Arsenal fans like him because, it, or some do, isn't it? Because he he he's a supporter, and he started supporting when he was eight years old. And Anders Limpard joined Arsenal, and that, that that does strike a chord. But that 
as you say, that provides absolutely no guarantees. And, you know, yes, if you look at the wage bills, Arsenal are way behind now the, um, the, the four clubs above them. We, we've seen Liverpool put their results out this week which means that for the first time this century, they are now actually got a bigger wage bill than Manchester United and quite significantly bigger. So it's uh, Manchester City, the top payers, 351 million, Liverpool, 325, and then <clears throat> Manchester United, 284, Chelsea, 283. And then Arsenal are down at 225 and Spurs, 181 million. So that's... Um, there's some big differences there. It just shows Arsenal have a lot of ground financially to make up if they want to start competing at that top top level. I wonder if some of those some of those wage figures, particularly the Manchester United one, is due to a lack of success at Old Trafford. I think the the the, the Liverpool figure, for example, must have been boosted by the bonuses they would have had to pay for for, for recent success, uh, and perhaps that number will will diminish now that. The team has had a kind of dreadful current campaign. It'll be interesting to see what happens next year. And should United finish in, in, the, in the top two and go great guns in the Europa League, etc., maybe maybe that will be reversed. It'll be interesting to see how how these wages are, are paid and delivered and promised to the players. Yeah, it's been noticeable actually. And we're going to talk about it later in the show about social media abuse. Obviously, you know we face a lot of it. Nothing like um, you know, on on the scale of being received by footballers but some of the Arsenal fans one messaging me you're a disgrace to human existence just because we were sort of slightly scrutinizing the uh, potential interest of Daniel Ek and uh, you know various other insults and abuse and uh, Tarek you've not just felt it on social media you felt full force of a Spanish publication as well in the fallout from the Super League where there seems to be quite a lot of delusions in Spain and certainly backing in parts of the media for the um, ill-fated Florentina Perez project and still backing him up on it. Yeah, very, very odd uh, on a number of levels, both uh, personal and, and in general, the, the, the kind of tone in some of the Spanish press. But yeah, it kind of got targeted by a uh, pretty trashy tabloid in, in Spain that, you know, accused, accused me of being in the pay of La Liga uh, to to go after Florentino Perez's pet project, uh, all sorts of outlandish claims in, in in that particular article. I won't um, mention the publication. I don't think it deserves it any more publicity than it already gets. It's a bit of a rag. Um, and yeah, there were some bizarre elements in that, including the fact that it was astounded that I could uh, write four thousand words in Spanish. Uh, to the answer to that is I could not. Um, the New York Times employs some excellent translators, and they'll be pleased to know that their Spanish is flawless, given the comments from that particular journalist. But, it, you know, in general, it's it, it's kind of been very visible what elements of the Spanish press are generally supportive with the big clubs. Real Madrid or Barcelona, depending on where they are. And whatever they do, there seems to be this unquestioning devotion to the needs of the, uh, the, uh, the, the president, particularly Florentino Perez. He could do no wrong as far as they were concerned, even, even though he appeared in that illusional, strange uh, midnight interview that, again, was one of the 
final nails in the coffin of the ESL as far as the other members were concerned. There was just almost no criticism of him or his project. And to be clear, of course, we did have a statement from the New York Times published saying that it was all rigorously reported. It's based on interviews with various executive officers and directors with direct knowledge of the Super League conversations. Our readers value the rigor and independence of the New York Times journalism. We stand behind. We we stand behind our coverage. Um, you know, some of the key components of the piece you did in particular were saying about how um, the Liga president Javier Tebas discovered about the Super League plans from uh, Juan Laporte to the Barcelona president. Yeah, and that's just a general course of reporting. That's what you do. You work your contacts, you use the phone, and you speak to as many people involved and found that was one of the more interesting elements, that, that this contact that Tebas had with Juan Laporta at least made him think this thing was, was, was credible and could very well go ahead. And it was one of the reasons why he sounded the alarm, one of the first to sound the alarm, as far as the other stakeholders were concerned. It's a detail, an important detail that we thought was relevant, germane to the story. So it was included. I mean, there is a fascination and a fixation in some parts of the world for conspiracy, uh, conspiracies and, 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 you know, under, underhand behavior, etc. This is a case of kind of shoe leather reporting, you know, unfortunately, because of the pandemic, we can't knock on doors. So you, you call, you text, you, you try and speak to as many people as possible to get a composite idea of what happened and report it as accurately as possible. That, that seems to not uh, be understood by some elements of the Spanish press, unfortunately. They might yeah, be trying they... to cut off. They might be trying to cut off your internet means of making those calls, given the challenge you speak to today. The, um, I mean, of course, the uh, <laughs> Perez and Perez and Real Madrid. Um, Barcelona, Juventus, AC Milan are still not formally withdrawn from the Super League, which I think is probably uh, some sort of tactic to try and um, at least keep open the, the window of possibility that they can get some financial compensation back from the, the, the eight clubs, including the six English clubs who did pull out because, they, because they'd signed up to a legal contract. I think they, um, they may think that they have some sort of legal case for getting some money back from them. Well, there could also be legal issues affecting the four clubs who've not fully dissociated themselves from the Super League idea. Real Madrid, Juventus, AC Milan and Barcelona. UEFA president Alexander Schefferin telling me in an AP interview that the clubs have got to choose whether they're Champions League or Super League. They can't be with both. Martin, what prospect of a ban? How legally enforceable do you think it would be kicking them out of the Champions League? Yeah, I mean it's absolutely possible. I mean, uh, you know, I don't, I don't think a Champions League without those four clubs, although they'd be slightly be diminished, I don't think it's impossible at all. But I mean, I think they, I think they'll, they'll accept defeat sooner or later. I mean, what, one of the interesting things is that if they have this idea of bringing some sort of legal action to get money compensation back from the the, the rest of the, the, the dirty dozen, I think they're going to struggle because they're. If you look at football statutes, UEFA statute 61 says you cannot sue another club. You can't go to court. You have to do it through football's bodies and then the court of arbitration for sport. So um, 
it seems to me it's going to be a bit of a non-starter if they, if they think they can get some money back from the uh, from the other clubs. So I think they'll just have to sooner or later bite the bullet and realise that they're going to be out of football's uh, European football's top competition unless they just concede this feat and realise that what they've done has been an absolute disaster. And also an area creating intrigue still is just what was said in Downing Street days before the Super League announcement when Manchester United's Edward Woodward was there. He was there for a meeting with Dan Rosenfield, the Chief of Staff, but he also met Boris Johnson and questions over, did the Prime Minister in any way indicate support for the Super League? It's denied by number 10, but still many unanswered questions. Yeah, I mean, number 10 have stated at the, the, the meeting between Ed Woodward and Rosenfield, which was four days before the launch of the Super League, was to talk about the return of fans. Now, um, the Premier League, who's been leading on the return of fans, was not informed this meeting was taking place. Um, they were surprised that um, the return of fans should have been on the agenda, given the fact Ed Woodward had not spoken to them specifically about the return of supporters. And the Department of Culture, Media and Sport, which is leading on the return of fans for the government, they were unaware of the meeting as well. So it's um, it, it, very strange that, that that particular meeting should have happened. And with nothing um, which came out of it um, to any of the, the, the bodies who are actually organising this. And no wonder for that reason that there's been... Um, a degree of scepticism around the fact that um, this was supposedly the, the topic when actually um, other sources have said, uh, the Sunday Times reported, that Woodward was given some sort of idea that the government would not step in and it, it, that it would, was deemed a football matter for the if a Super League was formed. Of course, as things turned out, the, the, the government perhaps saw an opportunity to, to come on board and... Um, oppose it and perhaps win some votes um, in, in, in a way which many people may not have expected. Well, the Super League might be dead for now, but the New Look Champions League is still due to come in in 2024. Much criticism from managers about going from six to ten games per team in the group stage, but it does look like it's happening. There are still things to be decided. How to allocate those four additional spots do two still go to clubs based on historic record, their coefficient, and just what happens to the sale of TV rights, which the ECA led by Agnelli wanted to take control of. It looks less likely to happen, but some things still are in play about this new look Champions League format. Yeah, quite, quite a lot of it's back in play. I think those two extra places going to big teams or historically significant teams, which is a code word for the big teams, I think that has to be off the table now. They've been talking about punishments, etc. This surely would be a gift to people who try to break the competition in the first place. And it, you know, it shows that the uh, small and middle-sized teams are being listened to, and also the league. Those two extra places, or the four, should be going to perhaps champions of, of smaller national associations. After all, it is the Champions League. And I think UEFA has always been fairly open about sharing uh, custody over the commercial rights of, of the uh, Champions League and other European tournaments with the clubs, but it won't want to willingly hand them over and essentially privatise the competition in favour of those big clubs. So that commercial question 
that should be resolved too. Uh, let's hope they figure out a way of ending these interminable, dreadful talks soon. I think uh, the, the, the way that the wind is blowing for, for the football authorities now has been sort of underlined by Richard Scudamore, the, the former Premier League chief executive and, and executive chairman, who's been speaking to um, this new YouTube channel called The Overlap. Um, and he's basically saying life will never be the same again after the Super League, especially in England. He thinks the, the actions of the six have altered the dynamic forever. Um, things will change. And they've basically, um, that they've sort of, that they've overshot the mark. And that he now shows that the, this UEFA, the Premier League and the government will provide a regulatory block which will withstand any breakaways and given power very much back into the hands of the football authorities. So yes, I think for things like the, the coefficient places, that's going to be, that's going to be removed now. And UEFA will be very, very confident that they can keep control of the TV rights themselves. Uh, Martin, it's interesting that you mentioned a regulatory plot. We've already seen Italy enact a rule change. The uh, Italian Football Federation had an emergency meeting on Monday in which they essentially outlawed any club that signs up to a, a breakaway league of any type from playing in domestic football ever again, essentially a Super League block. And one of the signatories to, to that, it was unanimous, a chap called Beppe Morotta, who is the chief executive of Inter Milan. Inter Milan, of course, one of the breakaway clubs. So, yeah, we're already seeing action or legislative action in a sporting sense, and maybe we're going to see something uh, more concrete from, from, from the authorities, be it at a national level or, or a, a transnational level with the European Union for those, for those countries that are still in it anyway. Britain, of course, no longer in the EU, and the Premier League has been asking the British government, in fact, whether it can approve extending the current terms of the TV deals domestically. Tell us more, Martin. What's emerged this week is that um, the Premier League are looking to effectively extend the existing broadcast deals with Sky, BT Sport and Amazon for the same amount of money, which is really a, a sort of win-win for, for, for all parties. It means that um, the Premier League don't risk getting less cash and it means that the broadcasters don't have to go into an auction where they may lose out and we know from Sky and BT Sport that uh, Premier League football is, is vital for their business model. So um, this needs to be signed off by the government but it, it's looking likely they will do so because they think it's important for the football pyramid. This actually may also be linked to the fact that BT is now looking for a potential buyer for its BT Sport arm um then in talks with a number of broadcasters including amazon uh, and DAZONE and discovery and um it could be that they um think the fact that they've got this nailed on or potentially nailed on for the next three years um is a good selling point for anyone who wants to buy the company turning now to the big talking point of the week and it's the four-day boycott of social media Led by English football, the cause picked up by FIFA, UEFA, also other English sports like cricket, tennis and horse racing. They're all deciding to stay off Twitter, Instagram, Facebook as part of a protest against the action that they're struggling to get the social media companies to take to eradicate the racism, the discriminatory abuse that is so prolific at times 
on their platforms and are seeing players being targeted. Well, someone who's been working on behalf of the players, trying to pressure the social media companies to take action is Simone Pound. She's the head of equalities at the Professional Footballers Association and she joins us on Sport Unlocked. Welcome, Simone. How was it putting together this boycott, all the English football bodies working together in a united way? I mean, we meet weekly on this issue. So it's something that we've kind of come together on for the past few months. Um, And the idea of a boycott has been muted for some time. But um, I think it was the clubs really who led in terms of really wanting to boycott the EFL clubs particularly and then the Premier League clubs um well the Premier League spoke to their clubs and they came on board so once we knew we had all of the clubs on board we were all obviously all committed from an authority's perspective but yeah the clubs have come on and um it's all systems go and what has the communication with the platforms been like up until now I mean it's been years I remember talking to someone at the Premier League saying yeah we're in a lot of contact with these platforms why do you think they have been unable to do it? They're able to get sort of terrorism-related uh, stuff off immediately, um, uh, sort of more incendiary stuff, personal stuff away. What What's the issue with the platforms? Oh, my goodness. I mean, we have... I think, personally, I've been talking... I've been in kind of forums and meetings with them for eight years or so. I can remember um, meeting colleagues who I still work with today um, at a meeting... A good eight years ago, I think the Enough campaign really brought everyone, everyone's attention to the platforms. And, and, and since then, which was in 2019, we've had quite regular dialogue with Twitter and Facebook, who obviously own Instagram as well. Um, and in terms of why they're not able to find the solutions, I mean, they talk a really good game. There's a lot of platitudes and, you know, concern that it's not what they want to see on their platforms and that they're, you know, committed to change it. However, given the kind of financial powers that that the platforms have, the the technology that they've got on hand, the expertise that that they have um, and the power that they've got, you would really have hoped that they would have found some solutions by now. Is the sense with the social media companies that they just want to do enough they can get away with to placate football and to other sports bodies rather than sort of going above and beyond I mean we see it on things like Instagram where they have their statements which are very narrowly often focused on direct messages rather than actually the open messages as we see so often it's the monkey emojis replied to old posts and things like that players are getting I mean I can't I don't want to talk from a platform's perspective because I'm really definitely not there and I do feel for the people well I don't feel for people but I'm working with the people who are talking about, you know, their commitment, however however strong their commitments are, actions aren't there. We've seen with Instagram a recent improvement in their direct messaging model, and that's great. You know, that's great, but it's a, a very small step in a massive wide-scale problem. So we need to see a lot more of those small steps. How do you feel about this idea that we've seen from Facebook and Instagram that, you know, what if somebody post something racist that's not an immediate banning offense they'll say they say oh they, they need sort of t- t- another chance to learn from their mistakes because a lot of people i've spoken to just think that's extraordinary i can't bear it martin to be honest it's 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 dreadful isn't it the fact that 
when we first went to them after the Enough campaign, I had reams and reams and reams of example of the abuse that players are receiving. We had Wes Morgan in the room talking kind of from a personal level. Um, there was the N-word everywhere, monkey emojis everywhere. And they were like, we're really sorry it doesn't contravene our community guidelines. And I think over the course of those two years since we first met with them, they appreciate that, you know, that isn't a good enough response or answer. However, you know, we're still seeing and know that the, the those words, those emojis are being used in a horrific way daily to players and they aren't always being taken down quickly. Sometimes they're they're still up six months after being reported. It's, you know, it's staggering, to be honest, in this day and age that, that we're going through this and talking about this. It's, it's, it's awful. Can we drill down on that meeting? So Wes Morgan is in a room showing messages that are blatantly racist and someone from, you know, is it Facebook, Twitter, I don't know, has said that doesn't breach our community guidelines. And that was two years ago. Well, we have to sit through lots of presentations with them talking about, you know, the commitment that they have um, tackling hate and and what contravenes hate and hate speech and the fact that they're a very global company and there's many forms of hate, whether that's, you know, horrible child exploitation or terrorism. So, you know, they're kind of managing the user's experience in terms of our users, our, our players' experience, and putting it in that context and kind of giving it a very wide global issue. Then talk about the N-word and the fact that it's used in the US, um, kind of in a peer-to-peer -peer way and within um, certain genres, obviously hip-hop, um, and that they wouldn't be able to stop the N-word and that, you know, in terms of community guidelines, um, yeah, basically, I'm afraid that that that's that's the stories we get. We, I mean, I've had members of my team who have literally said, "I literally can't meet with them. I can't meet with them. It's too it's too painful." But we've pushed on and we've pushed ahead, and there are small solutions, like we've said about the Instagram thing. And I'm hoping that what the boycott does this weekend is push forward um, even more to get to get more more and more stuff done. Basically. What's the sense of the anguish and concern you get from players on match days, after match days? Are you getting sort of messaged with all this abuse and racism they're getting? And, and, and are you really seeing up close how it affects the person receiving the, the racism? Yeah, definitely. And whilst I think people are really keen not to be considered victims, there's a real kind of feeling that they're not victims because then by being a victim, you're losing your power and you're not empowered. However, um, there is a massive emotional impact. And whilst I think current players with their mindsets and mentality and psychology are, are kind of geared to succeed regardless of anything, we're looking on the other side. Um, obviously, Anton Ferdinand had his um, documentary recent BAFTA winning. He's being really helpful and powerful in this space using his voice. We've had um, people like Karen Carney talking about the impact of um, their well-being. And yeah, I, I think it's, I mean, I know that it's having a massive impact on on people emotionally. We've got a well-being department or well-being team within the PFA and we've had to 
implement a wellbeing helpline. We're working really closely with the player care teams within clubs because that emotional side of things has to be taken really seriously. Everyone's in a really fragile state at the moment. We've had a year of lockdown. It's, you know, the abuse is on their phones, in their homes constantly. It's going to impact anybody. Of course it is. The key to this boycott is what is how it affects the social media platforms. I mean, my my sort of impression is actually it's going to hurt them quite badly. I mean, the whole point is to hurt them quite badly. And personally, I'm really keen for the impact to hit them financially, because I think that that will have a, an effect more than anything. So brands like Adidas withdrawing funding that they would have spent on social media over the weekend is absolutely fantastic and just really what we want to see. And having the, you know, really big broadcasters and brands supporting the boycott will it, it will hurt them. It will hurt them, but it's got to hurt them financially and hurt them enough to have a significant shift in their policies rather than hurt them and then they come back with platitudes to say we're hurt. You were part of the joint letter from the PFA along with all the other bodies to Mark Zuckerberg and Jack Dorsey. Was there ever actually a reply from them or a willingness to hold any sort of talks from the top level? Because you're not just some small entity. This is English football, one of the biggest uh, sporting entities in the world. Um, I think we've been disappointed with the lack of a response um, at the highest level, although um, there are kind of meetings planned, but not at that you know, not at that top, top, top level, but we do have regular dialogue with the platforms and there are meetings on meetings. Um, they work and sit within a kind of working group that we're all a part of. They say that they're very committed to finding solutions, but like we say, just not quick enough, not not effective enough um, and not soon enough. We need we, we need some really significant action soon. Is the bill promised by the government, does that go far enough? Are there still measures you want to see the government do more to introduce? Well, I think, again, the, the boycott will send a strong message to government. I think that online harms bill, again, in terms of how the platforms talk about their kind of the whole spectrum of hate, unfortunately, is massive. It's very, very wide. So we need to, from a football perspective, make sure that that online harms bill is is kind of has got elements that will protect footballers from social media online harms. Um, and we've worked with the sports minister, with the secretary of state. We, you know, we're hearing a strong commitment to um, work with us in this space. Um, and I think this is very much an opportunity, as we lobby for the bill, for government to understand the massive um, effect that that this abuse is having we're hoping for the effect what if they just ignore you we're not going anywhere we'll we'll keep pushing on with this this isn't doesn't have to be a one-off we've had the enough boycott this is uh, everyone coming together we can we can do this every every week if we have to you know we're not going away they're gonna have to listen to us um one way or the other do you envisage this potentially becoming a permanent boycott of social media by football I mean, that's a, 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 that's a difficult one, isn't it, Rob? There's so, I, I don't, 
that that is a really difficult one. I don't know if it would be a permanent boycott. However, I I personally feel that this could um, be the first of a series of boycotts. And what sort of research are you doing? How are you working with your counterparts in other parts of Europe, for instance? That's really interesting, Rob. Um, we're, we're doing a lot of monitoring at the moment. So kind of working with data scientists, looking at trends, looking at patterns, looking um, at players' accounts and, and and what happens around them. Um, and FIFPRO, who's the kind of worldwide European Union um, are doing something similar so we're in dialogue and um, I've got a meeting with them later on today so it's just a case of um, just being able to monitor that and I think that's something again that's kind of grown this we obviously did the one in pro around project restart but having that data and that information is really powerful because I know it's really powerful because the platforms don't like it we've just kind of got information that they that they'd rather that we didn't. And that was, again, when we had the Enough campaign, we said, we need AI solutions, we need data. And having that data just means that we're not in a room with players with reams and reams of paper. We're actually, actually able to give them kind of hardline stats and data and evidence. And, and, and while obviously a lot of this has been focused on the racist abuse, and you did mention Karen Carney, that actually there is the general abuse and misogyny that affects players in particular, even as much as... You know, obviously, very often, too often, when there's tweets about women's football and, and the ridiculous replies like, no one cares, and that will affect your members as well. Yeah, fully. of course, of course. There's The racist stuff is horrific, but equally so are the death threats and the rape threats and, and the kind of wishing people dying of cancer. You know, there's there's some real horrific hate. And I should say as well, of course, we're the PFA and it is all about the players, but there it is a wider societal issue. There are people, I know um, BT have done a survey and the, those responses are going to be coming out shortly, just in terms of it's, it's, it affects everybody. It isn't just something that affects football. It's, it's, it's a massive problem for most people online. How rare would it be, would you be to hear a death threat aimed at a footballer? I mean, a death threat is like the top level heightened, like everyone, including the platforms, take it as seriously as it could be. So it's kind of top level. And because we've now got the Athletia monitoring, it's picked up instantly. And it's, I mean, we haven't mentioned the police, but we're working closely with the police. And it's something, again, that the police would um, act on and everyone would work to kind of deal with it and really to be honest that's what we, that, that's what we want to see across all all kind of threats and harm do, do, do you think there's um a place for are there, i mean there's a sort of civil liberties issue i know around this but this about every social media account being able to be traced to to an actual person rather than the sort of people having this anonymous um you know be able to sort of set up an account anonymously abuse people and then you know when they and they can just like disappear and um close their account and then never be found again some people think that actually social media platforms should um demand that people um give it a proper name and address and can be traced what do you think about that yeah i mean it's one of the things that we're asking the platforms for i'm not a techie but if you think about how when you log in for online banking and you kind of there's verif 
verification methods that you need to go through to be able to get into your account. And, and really, we would like to see something like that for social media um, and so that we can verify accounts. We appreciate what the platforms are saying is that that would mean that maybe kind of like the lowest socioeconomic groups would be restricted from accessing you know players and, and interacting with players and I totally take that on board however like everything we know that they have the kind of AI and technical solutions there there must be something out there we're talking to people at the moment who are kind of bringing proposals and I hope that that we'll see that maybe whether that's as a small pilot to begin with but I think verification of accounts has to be explored more. Simone thanks for joining us and to get your thoughts. Thanks thanks guys. Let's get some assessments of that interview with Simone Pound of the PFA. Tarek, hope your line is just about keeping up there. How effective do you think the boycott of social media can be? I, I watched it out. I thought the, the so her personal ref, uh, reflections or recollections uh, when it came to the, the kind of feeling football players are, uh, are suffering here because the line about where's Morgan trying to describe to social media executives in a room, show them messages, scores of messages, the racist abuse he had, and them saying, well, sorry, Wes, it really doesn't uh, cross the line for us, our terms of service. I thought that was, that was quite shocking. And it shows just what a journey this is going to be. It also shows how little they're willing to do about this. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, this, this, this boycott is going to get a lot of attention, important attention, but I think it won't make a dent on the social media companies because if they wanted to do something, they could have. There's been horrific incidents, horrible headlines, and this is going to be a weekend that sort of highlights this stuff. But as far as I'm concerned, the will isn't there from those companies to do anything. I think they're thinking about the bottom line. And Simone mentioned she wants to hit them in the pocket. I, I still don't think this will, this will have the impact they hope. The idea of these rolling boycotts seems a good one. Uh, Martin, what do you what do you reckon? Yeah, I'm a bit more hopeful actually, Tarek. I, um, I, it can't be it can't be comfortable to be sitting in the, the, the headquarters of Twitter and Facebook and um, have this sort, sort of um, incredibly bad negative publicity and some of the biggest brands in the world say that they're not, they're not going to give you money. And um, some of the most, your, you know, your your most famous followers um, boycotting you. Surely that, surely that must make them sit up and think we've got to do something more here. Surely. Well, they haven't done much more in terms of trying to explain what they're doing to tackle racism on their platforms, apart from some written statements. We've heard no interviews. We've had no chance to question any officials from Twitter or Facebook, the owner of Instagram this week at all you think they'd want to offer those reassurances to players in particular who are facing abuse the european super league approach to communications there from the big platforms Rob. of course they're welcome anytime they want on sport and lot to discuss the moves they are taking to tackle hatred online well that's about it for this week's edition of sport unlocked Tarek glad the line just about held up in this makeshift way and uh, you can go back to keeping away from the internet. Well, 
This has been an experience. Nice to be with everyone. I'm now going to try and find somewhere with no Wi-Fi and no phone signal, which is why I'm here. Good luck with that, Tarek. Enjoy. Martin, thanks a lot as ever as well. Great chatting. Cheers, Rob. Bye, Tarek. And thank you, everyone, for listening as always. If you're enjoying us, really grateful if you could rate, view and subscribe to us on whichever platform you're listening to us on. But for now, enjoy the sports viewing in the days ahead and goodbye. Goodbye.